0: We are a group of friends, bound by our appreciation for liberty and good podcasting. Free-minded thinkers from all walks of life, our values come together with one accord to discuss the common culture and news of the day, along with whatever random crap is going on in our lives. Welcome to the Union of the Unknowns.
1: Union of the Unknowns, we're back with our my favorite guest but let me go through the round table real quick we have ashley think change repeat hello keel hiya we got mr perm hey hey and from australia we have stella good morning and hey lanny hey i'm lanny are <laughs> 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 here guys um I did try to get Wild Bill on this one for our recap for the last time, but he was not available, so I guess we'll just pick up where we left off, and uh, I'm excited to hear about your garden and your successes and failures and everything in between, so um, I guess we'll, we'll go from there.
2: Yeah, it's uh, it's that that time of year in the States where we're growing things, and it's been uh, pretty fun growing some new things this year that I haven't yet, noticing some weird stuff with our weather and stuff that's growing or ripe that sh- seems like it shouldn't be for another month. So that's been interesting too. They're always It's always a kind of a guessing game with the, the things the weather is going to do. So it makes it fun.
1: I don't mean to interrupt you already, but we had such a wet summer this year and it's completely opposite of, of every growing season we've had in the past. It's been raining every other day. It's It's been crazy. Um, so yeah, it's, far more difficulties than it has been in the past but um what what are you experiencing
2: oh it's much drier here because i'm in the northwest and it's typically you know there's at least some rain we just we had two i think days of good rain in the last 60 days and that's been about it but i already have blackberries that we're picking and eating and that's usually not until the end of august so that's been weird and i've noticed they're big and fat and juicy but it's like uh, they're still sour. It's kind of like the sugars in them didn't develop the way they're supposed to. So it's it's much different than most years.
3: Yeah, That's I'm, in, uh, I'm a couple hours South Atlantic and today's the first time I, I've seen rain. I think I've seen it twice in like the last couple months, which is pretty crazy for up here.
2: Yeah, it was just like two, two, like a Monday and a Tuesday. We had some rain. It was pretty good too, and it was ironic because I was trying to I was trying to harvest my garlic, and you're you're supposed to do it when it's dry if you can. And of course, it rained right before I harvested it. Every it's all good though.
3: Yeah, I had a like, bush dying near the house, and last night I went out and decided to water everything, and then I came inside, and the wife was like, "It's gonna rain tomorrow." So. Guess I didn't need to do that.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's hard to tell. But even with the rain like that, you know, when it's been as dry as it has been, that moisture doesn't go too far down into the ground, you know, and it doesn't last for long. So it's not, it didn't, it's not like it did too much. But the news and everything else is really telling us it's going to be a dry, it's going to be a drought. They keep driving in this uh, idea of fire season. It's fire season, and I don't remember that ever being a thing where I live when I was a kid. It's a new thing that they're really telling us. Uh, fire season, yeah.
4: Well, well, well Lanny, well, I wanted to let you know that we're actually we've moved beyond global warming and we're in global boiling. So that's oh. why. <laughs> that's why. And if we stopped eating steak, all of us here, then we probably wouldn't be boiling. So I I just want to let you know that I blame you all. Oh, God. i
5: think, I, I <laughs> think we
1: need rain for the boiling though i think you need water to boil so
4: you do need water to boil so it seems like it should
2: be humid it's like when you go visit new jersey or whatever uh it's uh it's that's what global boiling is uh yeah that's funny it's i yeah you could blame me and the half uh half cow my family consumes in a year <laughs> i knew it yeah,
6: <laughs> yeah well, down so- in australia in australia we've also had some pretty unusual stuff because we're in winter now obviously and uh you can, you can tell. I mean, some of the plants are just thinking, hey, it's spring. But no, we're actually in the middle of winter, guys. Like, go back. <laughs> go back Did to Did you care. end up
2: having a wetter summer there too, didn't you?
6: Yeah, it was a very – it was pretty mild. Um, it's it's almost been a sort of a little bit of a flat line, I would sort of say, I suppose. This, this year it's been kind of a mild summer and it's been an extremely warm winter. So um, – and not a lot of rain, but then – yeah, not not much rain at all, actually. I've, I've had the tank empty a couple of times. It's a very small tank, but, um, yeah, very thankful when the rain does turn up. But, yeah, very unusual, and I think they're sort of already starting on that. It's going to be the worst summer ever, uh-huh. so here yeah. we go. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
2: and, uh, Big Perm, where you're at two hours uh, south of me, Are you? is your sky all hazy and weird today?
3: I haven't been out much today, actually. I've been in the house all day.
2: It's uh, it's this like almost orange tinted, um, kind of like overcast. You would think it's overcast, but it's not normal. It's it's a weird kind of overcast. They were spraying a whole bunch yesterday and early morning, and now it's this like I don't really want to go outside right now. It's like,
3: uh, looking it, out the windows, it's just been kind of gray.
2: Yeah, it's if you look at it closely, it's not it's not the overcast that we came to know and love <laughs> in, in the Pacific Northwest. It's something weird. So I'm wondering if they're going to turn the heat up in the next couple of days. But it's great. Like for people who don't know me, and this is their first introduction, I'm Lanny from Greener Postures, and I'm a conspiracy theorist. (laughs) I believe in weather control. Uh, Yeah, no, I just make observations about my surroundings. And I think that this, it's like pretty weird. And it's funny, I have to kind of credit Monica Perez for making me think a little harder about chemtrails, because she just randomly one day, I was listening, she just says, Well, yeah, but you can just see that happening. And I was like, oh, I can see that happening. (laughs) I was like, I always wondered, you know, they spray over the top of our our mountain that I can see. And then we get a lot of snow for the ski area. And then I started to pay closer attention. You know, that's like 2019. And it's like, oh yeah, sure enough, these long lines in the sky and then they kind of spread out and the weather gets weird. But yeah, it seems like they've kind of uh, kicked it up a notch the last couple of years.
3: See, I haven't personally noticed... The effects and Monica and I have gone back and forth on DMs about chemtrails and contrails. And I have degrees in air traffic control and airline dispatch, and I've been through uh, aerodynamics and lots of different airline stuff, and worked on the flight line for an uh, airline for three years. So I I don't deny chemtrails. I think that that does happen but I also think contrails are real.
2: Cool. I would love so. to talk to you in depth about that. Actually, I've got a cousin who's a pilot, and I've, I I, really want to ask him a bunch of questions, but I don't want him to know I'm a weirdo. You totally
3: should. Just, <laughs> just ask him to explain oh, no. how contrails work or something. Don't, don't start off by being like, is that spraying chemicals oh sky? yes no no i'm
2: good at that I, you got to be like covert like oh what is, isn't it that weird that the planes leave those lane, lines in the sky you know what is it that causes that and for then,
3: sure and we've had them blue, it's seafair weekend so the blue angels have been out like crazy so there's lines everywhere right now. right
2: that's where they do their their tricks and their displays and they're flipping around in the sky for everybody that's that's gotta be a lot of fun a lot of traffic
6: You could probably um, point to things like how Mexico banned it and um, uh, Biden had what he agreed to something or other recently publicly.
2: Uh It's interesting, too, because like there's so much documentation on the official uh, sites and, you know, what happened in Vietnam and other times in history when it was used. Um, If Chad was here, he could tell you he's better at remembering things. But there was a story of a guy in the, I think, late 1800s where the, it was Sanford there was a drought I think San Francisco, California area. If anybody knows the story, please pick it up for me because I'm bad at this but they, he was uh, they were putting out money they were saying I'll give a million dollars to anybody who can make it rain and solve this drought and there's this guy who said he could and built these things on these towers that made the clouds come and they had a huge flood and then instead of paying him they tried to sue him for f- making it flood. And then there was like there was like some lawsuit. I think it ended up being a wash. But that was the oh. the first like inventor of the you know, you know cloud seeding that you know could bring rain.
0: I've, well, I've heard that story too. I
2: acknowledge now in
3: the United Arab Emirates that they make it rain once a week there. Yeah.
5: Yeah.
6: yeah. Yep. And uh, you can thank Australianrain.com.au com for that. They've been uh, conducting um, tests and things. Uh, I think it started around about two thousand and seventeen or eighteen um, in. I, Oman I think it is Oman or Iman one of those places in Saudi Arabia and um, yeah it's publicly it's public knowledge there you just got to have a look
0: <laughs> yeah I, I i think about it i'm kind of with perm here uh, you know contrails are a real effect of physics and stuff and uh whatever but uh, you can chem- but weather modification using chemicals is also a real thing too i think the real question is are they are they the, the big they are they using it to try to control, you know, food production in other parts of the world and here in the United States and whatever that that part we don't really know about, I guess, but uh, we can speculate about that all all we want
2: okay cool because i got at least an hour and a half <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> just kidding <laughs> but yeah i think it's interesting to see these these lines in the sky spread out and create mm-hmm. that haziness and so i would wonder like if um if somebody could point me to information on like what a condensation would normally look like when it, as it dissipates because that 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 part of it i'm not sure well, that's
3: I think we lost Keel? Oh, bummer. Oh,
2: I want to know what uh,
6: he's going to say. He'll be back. I'm Mercedes. pretty
3: sure that commercial airliners aren't spraying, so I would pay more attention if you can see the...
0: Uh, Contrast um, create.
3: ...ins of the airlines, knowing those commercial airlines. <laughs> I've emptied and loaded all the fluids from airlines many times other than gasoline.
2: Yeah, but, there's uh, these these around here we're close to an airport so we have I have lots of different planes but then sometimes there's the really really high ones in the sky yeah but if I look with binoculars because I've done that <laughs> it's you can't see any markings on them they're just silver and they're really high in the sky and they uh they they're the ones that are leaving these things that like spread out like that they're yeah they're, I can't
3: speak to those mm-hmm. unmarked airplanes that leave military bases and who knows what they're doing up there that's yeah,
6: yeah. They're not using passenger planes as in planes that are carrying no, passengers. No, no not. They're, they're using drones a lot too. In fact, but, I, I, I swear I've seen some of them go over because they sound different.
2: Oh, interesting. Yeah, but
6: they that's sound what I like worry they, they've got this
3: the real. Is that when we talk about chemtrails, is that everybody thinks that every line in the sky is a chemtrail and. No, it's not.
2: Oh yeah, no, they, no, no. All
3: the pilots are in on it, and oh no, who thinks is that?
2: It. Is it these people's yeah, well, first day? You
3: know, this
6: <laughs> world is wild, kindergarten.
2: No, it's because it, I mean, any of these things where you think there there could be an agenda that uh, that is not the first thing on everyone's mind, it doesn't mean that you know if we didn't go to the moon, it's not that everybody knew they didn't go to the moon. You know, it's it's larger than that. It's different. You know, it's and that's I think hard for normies. To, to say well it, we would know about it by now because so many people would be in on it that somebody would have talked it's like well, I don't think it works exactly like that
6: Well I don't know if um, you get the same thing but I often look up to the sky and there's um, different colors like almost rainbowy type colors or you know when you get fuel on top of a top of water yeah and you get all those colors it, it's sort of like that um, occasionally you'll see just weird patches that are just sitting there all by themselves. Of these colors and stuff. like a,
2: like gasoline rainbows that I'm, yeah yeah mm-hmm. yeah but
6: that will not a, not a structure like a rainbow just a blob
2: just a bit of it that's interesting that's really i don't think weird. i've noticed that
6: before right yeah i just yeah. i mean i can only assume that sort of sunlight reflecting off metals and things like that. i don't know i don't know wow it's not normal i didn't i don't remember that as a child put it that way
2: no no I, yeah and I, I think it's so hard to say you know memory is so weird but it does feel like the it, the skies look a lot different than when I was a kid. And when I look back at like family photos and stuff like that, they, they look like I remember, Mm. but not, not the same as today.
6: Well, I was just having a chat with my mum recently, um, about this. And she grew up in the country in like the full on rural areas. And, um, she was telling me about how her parents back in the 1940s, um, were really pleased because there was this announcement that there there was going to be some cloud seeding beginning. And um, her dad was just going, "Oh, that'll be good. It'll break the drought," you know. And it was it was just a normal understanding, and no one questioned things back then. They they weren't suspicious back then. They believed what they were told. They believed the authorities were out to look after them.
3: Wow. Could that be a good thing, though? I mean, in the UAE, maybe they do see it as a good thing that they never get water there. So if there's not a negative to the cloud seeding, which I have no idea.
2: Yeah, I wondered. It I think it could be, you know, like, but then if you give the power to do that to certain people and not everyone, and then they make it secretive, then that's where there can be, you know, like anything they can abuse the power. But um, I think in general, like, yeah, if we could make it rain, I mean, what, what were tribes were doing rain dances. And if you look at all this new information that people are hype. Up about the electroculture stuff. If we're able to like harness things from our atmosphere using magnetic whatever or or like metal, I mean, is that a bad thing? Because we can grow bigger plants or have water. Probably not. But, but if you give that um, power to the elite few and and they confuse people to not know that it exists, then that's I think where you could run into some trouble. Well, what
3: yeah,
5: you can and do.
2: And why aren't
3: they doing it in California when they're complaining right? about all the droughts and uh-huh,
2: fires? Or when there's a huge forest fire, why isn't it raining on that?
0: you can though you could oh, use it point. tactically as uh you know to deprive that that rain from a certain region in favor of a different region
5: mm-hmm.
0: you know if you're not if you're not next to the ocean where there's going to be humidity anyway and humidity is scarce in a more arid area then you could certainly use it as a weapon yeah to, uh, you know
2: yeah. yeah to flood people or to dry people out, yeah, it definitely could be used as well heart, I mean, and that's what
0: crop, crop production and that
2: sort of thing yep yeah. and then not to mention the stuff they're spraying up there is not great and it's like, is that what we really want in our soil and it just seems yeah. like there's an imbalance uh, it's harder to keep good soil maybe and part of that is we don't have the same you know animals and life and plants growing in a lot of places are just concrete but it seems like it's not going to help if we're spraying like metals and aluminum and uranium and other stuff like that uh, from the sky. Exactly. It's probably not a good
3: well, we idea. Have a lot of the monocrop agriculture, and mm-hmm. you don't see a whole lot of, you know, um, should I forget the words? Steiner's. permaculture
5: or yeah,
3: that kind of stuff yeah, yeah
2: you don't you don't see that regenerative ag- agriculture the rotational grazing the different different types of animals on the same land it's all like isolated and lots of animals are just oh, in big it's... warehouses so we don't even get the benefit of that, the grazing. biodynamic farming mm-hmm, that's another one yep yeah
6: yeah, it's like um, band aids on top of band aids. I mean, the whole monoculture thing is wrong anyway, and then they're trying to fix something that's wrong with something yeah. else that's wrong, and playing playing God basically. I mean, if they just kept it to the deserts and stuff, you know, maybe. I, I'm just not. I'm not on board with it at all. <laughs> yeah, didn't a, a uh,
0: Jethro Tull invent crop rotation in the medieval period? And we've come to this point in history you know, hundreds of years later and we're not doing that anymore.
2: <laughs> it's not not the guy with the flute though, right? Is that what say, right? That,
0: that, <laughs> the pedophile They're, 70s heart They were group? They were uh, named after that guy, I believe.
2: Yeah. I'm that's much more fair. familiar with the, uh, the the rock band. <laughs> yeah.
0: I thought that's who, who you were talking about. I thought there was
1: a joke <laughs> no. in there. but
2: I, I knew, it, yeah, I knew so... it would be confusing. That's why. <laughs> you, uh, you went for it. I love it.
0: Uh, But, okay, so before, I think I got uh, disconnected there, and then quickly followed me. I don't know what happened, but uh, – so the thing that's been so – if you're going to complain about the environment and why temperatures are rising, why don't you look at the, you know, the contrails that are being created by, you know, uh, everyday average airplanes create these contrails, these vapor trails, that those they create they spread out like you said they turn in those those types of clouds are created uh, by that uh, the, by the contrails uh, and I mean it's not like those are the only source of those clouds but the type of clouds that they create over time ref, don't don't reflect heat like a big natural giant cloud would they create these wispy thin clouds that just trap heat and mm-hmm. ever since uh, you know like the world wars, had happened, and there was a lot of uh, airline activity around bases and stuff, they had recorded higher temperatures in those areas because of the, the, the cloud cover that airplanes create. It's, it's a recorded phenomenon. And so if you're going to say the earth is, is rising, the temperatures are rising, could that, that you know, uh, observable increase in temperature not be in part or maybe largely uh, due to increased uh, air traffic over the yeah. past hundred years, you know?
2: Yeah, why is the conversation about your SUV or cow farts and why is it not about our military operations and <laughs> unnecessary, yeah. um, you know, like every president or celebrity just driving on their own private jet? Like, why, why is that not where we start, you know, where we would have yeah. a bigger impact rather yeah. than people eating beef or, or um, driving a car to work? Private jets, and, to, you,
6: private jets to private jets to talk about climate change right that's <laughs> always
2: the best
4: you know what i always say it's the inversion of reality it is the um gaslighting of the population it is all, it's part of the um demoralization campaign i think and it's also meeting the agenda of we want to control your behavior. And we're going to be trying to do that through food, meaning we're limiting your availability to healthy uh, food. We all know that the war on fat was the war on us. It was ridiculous, right? Like fat free this, fat free that. But actually the fat was one of the healthier things in the food. Mm -hmm. So it is all of these things. And I think that ultimately they want you eating lab meat and they want you eating the bugs because that's what they have decided for us. Um, and I think it's all like all of these things. It's it's an insane. And they time. create the,
2: the problem and they sell us a solution. and obvious, <laughs> yeah. obvious time that all, all most of the time the the problem that they create is that's also the solution they sell. So they create the problem with the spraying the skies and then they tell us they'll block the sun out for us to fix it. <laughs> it's <laughs> like aren't isn't are you already doing that? It's not working out. Not working out. I but yeah, I mean the matrix, right? Oh out wow. The sun that documentary is, is bringing yes. yeah.
4: by the day. And also Snowpiercer, right? So I just am wow, like, man. okay, well everybody hope that you're close enough to, so you can get on that friggin' train that drives around the whole world to, uh, survive after Bill Gates blocks our sun out and causes like an indefinite polar freeze worldwide. I read
2: some, I read about, some that, about that, but I haven't watched it yet.
4: There's a show and there's also a movie. So I've watched the show. Um, and it, it's pretty interesting, at least the the concept alone, right, of of the whole, you know, well, feels like predictive programming, right? That they block out the sun and they accidentally freeze out the entire world.
0: Oops. I, I saw the movie. I thought the movie was pretty good. It was a Korean production, if I'm not mistaken. But, uh, uh, yeah, I think, uh, yeah. Uh, I think if you're close enough to the train to get on it, you may want to think twice about getting on it, you know? Because if you're on the end of the train, it's it's not going to be a very pleasant experience.
4: No, then you're known as a tailie. Yeah, your life is about to be hard. Is there like a first class and then a coach?
2: Oh yeah, in this oh, yeah. of course it's, it's there is. About, in, it's all about In class. the
4: show, yeah, in the show, they they sort of turned it into, um, I would say, communist propaganda. I mean, they it's very much about class warfare, and then it is Jennifer. I cannot remember her last name. Connolly, Connor,
0: Connolly, Jennifer Connolly. Jennifer Connolly.
4: She was from
2: like the labyrinth, wasn't she? Yeah, labyrinth. Yes, yeah.
4: yes, that's best. her. So she's in the show on HBO, and actually, in her room, there is a picture of Mao. It's it's like so split second. It's hard to even see, but yeah. So it, it's her, there.
3: As a character, or like her in real life. That's oh no, room. she's the
4: character, but it's in her yeah. room on the train.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's and not- I, don't, I don't, I don't want to spoil the movie or anything, but you know, you can, you you don't have to get on the train. I'm just saying.
2: You don't, you know, and you can, you don't have to go into the tunnels. I, Monica's always talking about the tunnels. <laughs> I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to go into the woods because I got a better chance. I don't know mm. about the underground dwellers. I, I know about uh, <laughs> the herbs I can gather in the forest, <laughs> like deer and blackberries. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I feel like I the
3: tunnels is more metaphorical.
6: Though. I think it yeah, is, true, it, but is. I I mean, think it is. I mean, you're funny. just going to find rats down there. So.
2: <laughs> there was this great documentary called... Oh, um, Children Underground? Was it that one? There was two. There was a, there was one about the, the homeless that live underground in New York City, and they have this whole shantytown underground, because New York, like a lot of other cities... they the in same there, thing like, in Las Vegas. I was, right? gonna, I was gonna bring up
1: Vegas, too, yeah. Yeah, they, yeah it's yeah.
2: just like they had built the city on top of the old city, kind of, so there's, like, this whole section under there. They have extension cords running down and stuff, and, like, lights and like, so, uh, like pallets, pallets, pallets that they've built, they built, pa- you know, palace pallets, <laughs> pallet palaces. It's uh pretty impressive. And I'm like, okay, well, those people get it already. And yeah, you're sharing your space with a lot of rats, but, um, it's probably better than living on the surface in New York city.
3: <laughs> yeah, I went on a deep dive at work one day when I came across this Las Vegas article about the underground people. And it was, Wow, that must have spent two hours reading about all these people. I mean, there's people with beds and dressers, and like they have their own rooms, and they all look out for each other, and it's like a whole community of underground people that never see the light.
2: Right. Oh, Dark Days. Dark Days was the name of that documentary about the the ones in New York. Children underground was, I think, homeless kids in... Somewhere not Russia, but that general read Croatia I think actually uh, yeah that one was interesting too
1: is there I, um underground sections i I want to say it was Seattle yeah Seattle has There's, an
2: underground mm-hmm.
1: yeah 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 big time like a whole city under under
2: yeah, yeah. Like, like it's built up so like a, some of the buildings have like a few a story or two that's not visible any longer yeah yeah yeah. Yeah, They do like
3: underground tours
2: here. Mm-hmm, you can do underground tours. And they're also where I live is Bellingham. It's north of Seattle by about an hour and a half drive on I-5. And there is an underground in Fairhaven as well. They used to do tours there. I don't think they do anymore. But then even like some other buildings where we know of go under, there's like basements that are two floors underneath that you can't really access anymore. And all of Bellingham was built on top of the coal mine that was here for some reason, which I don't, I feel like there'd be better ways to do things, and that doesn't seem very safe. But yeah, so there's undergrounds even in smaller towns when you start looking into it.
3: I so think we just a lot a of mud blood. Wonder I've about the whole stories. like Tartaria concept and like that the cities were here a lot longer than we think they were.
2: Yeah, I think there were. I think there were a lot. A lot of the architecture even around here locally, when you look into it, Chad's gotten really into our local history is the buildings that they say they built for stuff were so elaborate with such amazing architecture and those big spires on the top. And they were like, in the history books, it says they were used for a year as our courthouse. And then they demolished it and built this other courthouse. I was like, well, why'd they only do that for a year? Why did they demolish it? And the new courthouse is less cool than the old one. Like, it doesn't make any sense. It's like it was already here and they're covering the stuff up. They're destroying it.
3: Yeah, I think as the years go by, Architecture is getting lamer and lamer, I guess.
2: Yeah, well, the you building know, materials that we're using,
0: better, yeah, it, it's and so I, sterile and uh uniform. You know, restaurants, fast food joints used to have cool, unique, uh, you know, character about them, and now they're all this, this, these same kind of modern, simplistic crap. And I, I think they do that so that because they know they're going to close down someday. And they want to be able to sell the property to the next guy who's going to build another a completely different place. But they want to maintain the same stylization, you know.
2: Yeah. And I
4: I want to come at it that I think it's a continuation of brutalist architecture. And by taking unique and interesting and beautiful buildings away from us and putting up square boxes that are horrible to look at. Because I think that there is something... um, good for humans to look upon aesthetically pleasing things and buildings so i think this is more demoralization it's, it's very
1: soviet yeah yeah everything's blocks
5: yeah, and,
3: an yeah. article this week of them like tearing down a beautiful like catholic chapel in france or something like that that had been around for hundreds of years or something like that and they're just tearing it down
2: yeah and they they i mean a lot of these places even when they're still standing they'll take off that spire and the more you learn about other ways of things you wonder what those were actually for in the first place and they take those you know maybe buildings were a healing place where it would feel really good or you think of like the idea of feng shui and the energy of of things inside of a a space we we've taken all of that out we've kind of compartmentalized everything's just plastic or pvc you know uh stainless steel if you're in a fancy house but it's like the nice stuff that they used to make was all like materials were from like actual natural things you know it's the same idea of like the clothes that we wear being mainly made out of plastic now you can call it polyester but it's plastic and that it's maybe not as good for our health or for our energy or or whatever our skin that it's sitting against our largest organ so i don't know yeah Seems like they just keep taking away the good stuff, and it's it's you wonder like if there was this time in history where we were better than they've said we were, you know, it didn't come from dirt rows and cowboys, and then all of a sudden, some people could build these really magnificent cathedrals that they used as courthouses, and then they demolished them two years later and built a box. I just chime fishy. in there,
6: it's, it's uh, it's called brutalist architecture, so mm-hmm. it came became um, popular in the 1950s, sort of the post-war rebuild.
2: I think Ashley said that. Yeah, brutalist. Oh, sorry. I no that. problem. I hadn't really heard that before, but it makes sense immediately.
6: Yep. And um, it's quite what you talked about with the Tartaria um, thing. It's quite um, obvious in Australia because we're such a young culture. Like, I mean, we were settled in 1788 and somehow in a very few short decades, <laughs> There's these incredible buildings um, that have been created by a bunch of convicts with extraordinary skills and extraordinary t- output with just crude hand tools <laughs> and uh, horse and carts to uh, bring uh, stones and things. It's just, it's basically impossible. Just just when you start looking at it, it's like no, that's it can't be. It's, there's no way these people could have done all these buildings. Such elaborate things, too, not just brutalist construction. They were really elaborate, like you're talking about, with spires and, you know, um, gargoyles and all those unnecessary, beautiful things. So, yeah, it's, um, you just got to sort of observe, really.
4: And isn't that the conversation with uh, Notre Dame that basically we had the fire? That was just like right before the government lockdowns happened and everything, just totally yeah. weird. But that they don't even know that they'll be able to have it fixed because the skill set is so specific to be able to build these types of structures. Does anybody have any more info on that?
2: No, that's super interesting, though. It's like, how do we have stuff and maintain stuff that we don't know how was built? But yeah, that's not like the first like topic of interest and in question on every history channel show. It's like, Oh, these buildings are so cool and we don't know how they were made. Well, they'll say that about the the pyramids, but then they'll tell you, Oh no, they just chiseled these blocks and then they carried them with slaves. It's like, uh, it's, it's really funny because we just kind of oversimplify things. But once you really dig into it, you just, you don't actually know how any of this came to be. And so it can feel like aggravating to me when I think about weather modification or I think about hidden history and orphan trains and like all of all this other stuff. And then I go, Oh, cool. Okay. But I just grew a bunch of garlic in the garden and I'm potty training my two-year-old and all the real stuff that actually I can know exists and figure out how it works. Um, that's, that's where I try to focus most of my attention.
4: (laughs) I think that's very healthy. (laughs) And back to what uh, Monica had said, this you know before, and I've mentioned this before. Whenever she's talking about the white pill summer and all of these many, many issues, right? And you're like, yeah, but here's a peach. You yeah, know? it was a pear though.
2: I don't have peaches. A pear. Yes. <laughs> I wish I had peaches. No, it's too too cold here for peaches. Some people try, but they're not usually successful. But yeah, but look at this pear that keeps growing, no matter what they're spraying overhead or what uh, you know, who built what building, like my property's cool. Cause I know the history of it for at least the last 120 years, because my husband's family has had it for that long. And I know who built this basement that I'm in is, you know, my, my kid's great, great, great grandpa. And it's like, that's all really cool. And I have to super focus on appreciating that I have that luxury of like knowing that and having the space that's made out of real materials and, um, then I just have to research and look at things as best I can and try to make the best decisions for myself and my family, like going forward in the world that we live in the world as it is today, which is the name of my other podcast <laughs> that I have with my husband, Chad.
6: <laughs> nice promo.
2: Thank you.
4: <laughs> yeah.
6: That's, uh, that's amazing to know that, um, the generations before you, well, I suppose that they wouldn't have, um, used, um, awful things, you know, like poisons and things like that. Were they, were they like organic
2: well the 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 history of it i mean this was a forest and they um they we found the old wooden boxes that had held the dynamite that they used to blow out the tree stumps after they logged the property so there was Mm -hmm. some you know modern technology used at that time but they had they had horse-drawn farming stuff originally and because there's a lot of evidence of that left um the the cedar trees that they logged from this area were then cut into planks at the mill, um, in the town over and they built the house with those. So the trees grew on the property and then built the house. I feel like there's gotta wow. be some good energy and just in that, you know? Oh, yeah, um, and then they, yeah, they cleared it and plowed it and it was potatoes and chickens. And then it was a dairy farm. Um, and then it was rented out as the farmland was rented out and the home was rented out for a period. And I know they were Doing feed corn, and they were spraying at that time. So more modern days, you know, after his grandpa retired, his de- his dad didn't farm. My husband's dad didn't farm. It skipped a generation. So that's when it was a rental, and it wasn't cared for quite as well. So we've had our hands full, like trying to reclaim the property from blackberry bushes and and just decay and neglect. And we don't have a lot of money, but we've made um, a lot of use out of the property as it, as it is as we we have been able the last couple of years. So that's um, it's been good. And then I would
4: like to chime in on that when we're talking about money and wealth, right? Um, And I know that Owen Benjamin is a very controversial figure, Mm -hmm. but he says this all the time. He says family is wealth. And he does something very similar to what you have, Lanny, meaning like we have our property. Sure, it may not be worth millions of billions of dollars, but this is where we provide for our family. And we have our family, our children. That matters, you know?
2: Yes. Being a homemaker is like a uh, priority number one for myself and my husband. And we've like taken that on because I, I think homesteading can be, uh, people want to tell you you're not a homesteader because, you know, the homesteading act da, 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 or whatever, you don't have enough animals to call yourself that. But you can't tell me I can't call myself a homemaker. We, re- whether or not we have um, work outside of the home that we have to go to, to earn our fiat dollars, to be able to pay our electricity bill, our priority, our energy goes into making this a home, and into taking care of our kids and to, to using the home for what it was originally intended for. Family, raising your children, schooling your children, taking care of the elderly, all the things that they've De- you know, compartmentalized and moved apart, and and made cost money. You know, all the things that used to be for free because you did them. Now you have to go somewhere else, do something else, earn some money so that you can pay for those things. You can pay for preschool, and you can pay for your car to get your kid there, and you can pay for the you know the old folks home that you're going to stick your parents in when they are no longer uh, you know earning their. Fiat dollars so it's just um our focus is this homemaking home making and that is growing food and raising our kids and and doing things for ourselves because it feels good and it, it gives you reason to live
4: <laughs> yeah i love that
6: yeah. full circle and, really isn't it
2: mm-hmm.
3: yeah
4: it's very it's very impressive uh what you have done from from coming from your original place that you lived on. And I've heard you talk about that a few different times to getting back this property and really creating what you have created out of that. I mean, it's pretty amazing.
2: Well, thank you. Yeah, it can sometimes feel discouraging because it's like you I've always seen I see what I want to do as well as what we've done. So it always feels like we haven't done as enough or we're not going fast enough. But I like to keep a pace where it's comfortable and we're still enjoying ourselves and we're not, you know, going into debt or working a whole bunch outside of the property to be able to afford things and just really be more in the moment and enjoying what we're doing. And I think my life is a lot better since I've adopted that idea for sure. And yeah, coming from my mom being from New Jersey and my dad being like a foster kid. And like I I hunted and fished with him, but we lived in the city. The freeway was my backyard. Like I didn't ever grow anything. All of this stuff is new to me in the last, you know, 10, 15 years max. And uh, it can be done. Like We can relearn the things that used to be, you know, the heirloom knowledge, the ancestral wisdom, whatever you want to call it. We can relearn those things and take great satisfaction from them and then pass them down to the next generation.
1: Here, here i'm all about what you guys have been talking about i don't i don't mean to downgrade that at all but i, I think a big aspect of what we're missing in our circles because I'm, I'm trying to do the same thing you know claw back uh, a little bit of self-sufficiency but um a, a big thing that we're missing is is neighbors and uh you know just a genuine sense of community um and i'm not sure if i have a necessarily a solution for that because we all have our patch of dirt and we're all pretty attached to it. And I've been here for, you know, five years working my nails to the bone and trying to scratch away. And, you know, that's all well and good and until somebody puts a apartment building, you know, up next to me. And now I have a thousand communists, you know, living <laughs> as our neighbor. So um, I think that's a may- maybe a, a thing that... um we kind of miss when we're i i i I completely agree focus on what you can control but also um is is there any ideas on creating creating community that is like genuine around us
2: it's tricky because when you know when i talk about my husband's family when they were building this place it's like or even into the 70s they were farming um my husband's great uncle so my the man who lived here's uh, brother was living at the adjacent property. Uh, They had other farms behind them. Everybody was sharing equipment. And, you know, when it was hang day, they all came together to do it. And you were trading that labor that you were then going to, you know, give back to the other person when it was their day to do a big harvest. People came together to can and other things. And it's like the way we've changed everything now both my husband and I's parents are old. Like we waited to have a long time to ha- we have kids. They waited a long time to have kids. They're both in their mid 70s. You know, my husband I'm going to be 40 on my next birthday and I have a 2-year-old. It's like they can't just take the kids for us for the day. They're not uh, as active as they once were. And so it's kind of like this. We've spaced our generations out so much that we can't support each other in that way as much. And then we've also spaced our living out in a way where families don't live next door to each other anymore. Uh, Kids can't stay with their parents for a long time or you're looked down upon, right? And so it's isolated us in that way. And then if you're people like us, it's sometimes hard to make friends with your normie neighbors. Um, They don't have the same ideals or goals as you, but it is still my goal to be uh, at least cordial with all of our neighbors here, so that they know they can ask us for help if they need it. They can borrow our truck if they want to haul something because they can't fit it in their Prius, or you know what I mean. But uh, it's it still it is it's it can be disheartening at sometimes because when you feel like you could get so much more done if you had uh, more people in a variety of skill sets, and and so there are things that are people trying to do to. Get connected in your community with, you know, like Freedom Cells. I I went on there and I met a lot of people, although I don't really like that website or even some of the stuff that it stands for anymore. I did make great connections because of that. And so they're not my neighbors, but I do have people now in my community that I can call on when we need something that are more mm, like morally and uh, morals, values, and the way they think maybe a little closer aligned to me than the, the regular Joe that would be across the street.
3: I had joined the, free, or not join, but put my email into the Freedom Cells Network and thought that that might be a good way to meet like-minded people a few years back. And then I had thought, like, is this gonna put me into a January sixth type of situation? Yeah.
2: Where oh boy. I'm
3: getting set up to get screwed or whatever.
2: Right. Yeah. Yeah, I like a hundred, like careful. a hundred flowers campaign. yeah that's
6: what it always looked like to me too
2: yeah i was like why do they want to know my location (laughs) you know why do they want to know my email and what are my goals and what are my skills and what are my resources like i'm not filling any of that in let me go on here and see if i can find people i'll meet them in person and i'll vet them you know check how many fingers they have and stuff make sure they're not ai (laughs) i'm not i'm not advocating for uh i'm not advocating
1: sorry i'm not i'm not advocating for any any sort of you know freedom cells or any other website but um i would just point out that doing nothing is also uh just as bad you know it's, you kind of got to get after it if you want to um i don't even know if a reverse or you know parallel what <laughs> the, the 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 situation we're in um
2: yeah, if you choose <laughs> not to decide, you still have made a choice. Exactly. Yeah, that's that's right. kind of what I was getting at.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: We're all trying, there you go. This group, at least, is we're not trying to do nothing. We're looking for what's the best situa- or thing we can do to better our situation. Um, I
1: definitely yeah, yeah, I definitely agree. But I, but also we can we can also all sit on our hands and watch the world burn and then say, well, you know, they were all feds here, whatever, you know?
2: Yeah, we could uh, do that. Yeah. And we also have Netflix and like video games yeah, yeah, and yeah. porn yeah. and like pizza. So we have a lot of stuff to keep us entertained while we do that.
3: <laughs> yeah, but if we were doing that, we wouldn't be recording this video right now. Right. right. And I mean sure. we at least showed up and care about whether anybody listens to us or not, we we did our part. To sure. Try yeah. And put the information out there.
2: Yeah, just have conversations. And I thought, why not? Now I don't care anymore. Let's just have these conversations where other people could hear them if they want to. Because I know trying to go to a person who is not open minded and just talk at them about something that you're passionate about when they're not on the same level and you you, you're five miles ahead of knowing all these things in between, you know, you can't force knowledge on people. They have to want to learn. You can't educate. I hate that term. We need to educate people. I'm like, no, you don't. That sounds like we need to rape people. We have to, we have to have that consent. They have to want to learn. And so you can't you just have to be ready to talk to people when they ask questions or when they're open or ask them really open questions that make them start to think and ask questions. Without you revealing that you have some agenda to like change their mind about things.
4: Yeah, I agree with that because I've, um, so in my field, in massage therapy, we have to take, like in my state, um, a certain number of hours every year or every two years whenever you're registering um, for your licensure again we had to take an ethics course. So my most recent ethics hours that I took was on boundaries. So that is an interesting uh, thought for me when you're saying like, someone is not receptive, right? So I would consider that or relating it to boundaries that their brain or their thought process is basically with a very strict, very firm boundary. So really the ground is going to be made in these people that have what I would call semi permeable boundaries as far as what they believe. Like, are they willing to even listen to you and consider what you're saying? And, you know, because people are on this scale and sometimes they just like Physically, mentally, emotionally, they cannot handle someone giving them information that contradicts their worldview. So the, the people with the semi-permeable boundaries are kind of the people that you may be able to have those conversations with at a well-timed moment on a well-timed subject, you know? It's just,
2: just like comedy. Like I would say, like you say, read the room. You know what I mean? You're not going to make the jokes to the people who you know, they're not going to think they're funny. <laughs> yes. And so me trying to make people laugh for my entire life has really set me up to be able to, <laughs> to read people enough that I can see where I can sneak stuff in and like maybe, uh, get people to question stuff a little bit. And it's fun to do that too. Cause like, sometimes you can see their, their mind just kind of like, wait, what? I've never. Th- I never thought about that. They get real quiet and then just drop the mic, you know, like, leave it, leave it at that. Let them do the rest.
0: <laughs> yep. I do that uh, about every day at work. I would uh, manage a group of people and I, I usually go out and talk to them in the afternoon and, you know, give some announcements out. And then at the end, I'll give them some kind of clown world news story blurb or introduce them to, to like, MK ultra or something like that. I'll just tell them what that is. And they've never heard of any of that stuff. And so I don't, uh, it's, you know, I don't push it like, like that kind of stuff on them, but I, it's an in, in, interesting topics nonetheless. And so they, they kind of enjoy the kind of the wacky conversation that I have. And then they kind of laugh at me and, and that's about it. But I think being be okay to warm. be
2: laughed at is in, important. If you're going to go out on a limb and talk. Oh, yeah, to yeah, yeah. I mean,
0: that's part of it. I go out there so they can kind of, you know, it's in the afternoon, everybody's half awake
6: and, you know, kind of loosen them up and
2: stir it up a little bit. Yeah. Yeah.
6: I love how you, um, you just go to something soft and, and subtle like MK Ultra.
2: <laughs> Everybody already <laughs> knows about that.
6: I'll take it a step further. Actually. I I don't mean I, I am beyond being laughed at. I, I actually don't mind being to the point of being hated now. <laughs> it's like, okay, go for it. Whatever. I'm standing in my truth. No, you no. try it sometime. <laughs>
2: I'm sure I'll get there someday. But during 2020, I had been uh, managing an auto body shop, a production manager of an auto body shop for a couple of years, Uh, been with the company for like 12 years. So I knew all the guys. Well, they're all older than me, guys, you know, a lot of them grandpas and I'm like this young lady that's telling them which car needs to go next and, and bossing them around. We'd have a morning meeting every day at 10 and I would be like, okay, everybody knows you have your mask in case the authorities come, but you don't have to wear it. And like it's not helping and this cold is fake and don't get the vaccine and all this stuff. And they would all kind of laugh at me, but they were all, you know, the, the feel felt like the right wing kind of types, which these guys were, were like more open to that stuff as it was happening and so I worked all of 2020 until November when I left to ha- and I had my son um, and I've been home since then. I'm just like scared to go back and visit and see what happened during the whole vaccine part of it. And like how people's minds change. I was like, what if I was, you know, holding the line by just having that meeting five days a week at 10 a.m. to tell him it was all bullshit, you know, and like, and then I left and it's just like now they're just all zombies.
4: Who knows? Well, I, I think
2: that.
5: that-
4: Oh, sorry. Go ahead.
3: How old your son was?
4: Oh,
2: uh, two years and he'll be three in November. So yeah. Okay. Uh, And then my older one is nine. So we had a big space in between our two, but for some reason um, deciding to get pregnant in 2020 was like a funny thing at first, but then it's like the best thing that could have happened. I I didn't mean to, but I, I took the pregnancy test on March 13th. It was Friday the 13th, the day that Donald Trump declared a national state of emergency. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. So this is where they're really doing that. And fortunately I was already listening to Monica and we were like learning about event 201 and all of that. So I was like, wow, are they really going to do this? Are they really doing it? You know? And then they they, they sure did. They really did it. <laughs> but yeah, we're, it was a yeah. weird time. A
3: similar situation. Uh, I have a, my daughter was five in January and I heard about all the COVID babies and everything. And Went through all that, and then my wife and I decided, you know, it'd be nice to have a friend, somebody to spend time with my daughter. So, my son was actually born in May of 2020, so he just turned two a couple months ago.
5: Cool,
3: and my wife turned 40 the day before he, day before his second birthday.
2: Okay. So we're like the same age we're too. All yeah.
3: Their parents too.
2: Yeah. Yeah, man. Because society tells you to wait. And I'm like, now that I'm looking back at it, I was like, we weren't supposed to wait. We were supposed to find our forever person and start working on our homestead when we we're like 19. <laughs> like, I should have I should have seven kids by now. What a rip-off. Like I wish I would what have a known scam they sell us, huh? Eh? Yeah. I wish yeah. I would have known how much I would have loved childbirth and how much I would have loved having babies. Like all the stuff they tell you you should be afraid of that's gonna hurt it's gonna cost a lot of money. It's like None of that was true at all. Just do it. I know.
3: We never went to a hospital with either one of them. We did a we went to what's called the birthing inn in Tacoma. It was yeah, birth uh, center birth. Yeah, with the
2: home with the and it wasn't even
3: connected to a hospital. We had midwives. The first one we had a doula to help out, and then the second time, our original doula had moved out of state, and I was like, you know what? I watched everything she did. I can do. Everything she did. I'm your doula. Yeah, that's awesome. It was amazing. And both of them were born water birth and they're both healthy. And we were out of there in four hours and back home.
2: So cool. And that's where you should be. That's what I was going to do for my second. And then I decided I, I didn't want to go to the birth center. I wanted to do it at home. So, and I'm really glad we did. So then I didn't have to get in the car four hours after giving that's birth awesome. and drive. Yeah. That's why I was like, oh, it's going to be cold and I don't want to go. I don't want to drive anywhere. Let's just stay home yeah we we waited to the last second to call the midwife too, so it was just me and my husband for most of the time until I was like, Can you tell her call her and tell her I can feel the head <laughs> So she showed up fifteen minutes before our son was born, just enough time to you know fill out some paperwork and take out the trash for us and turn out the lights so we could go to sleep. It was pretty amazing, and it's like all that stuff is there, those resources are there in most every location you know all this alternative to the mainstream and people just don't know they don't know it's an option and when they do know about it they think it's some kind of wackadoo thing that isn't like that's not normal people would do that you know what i mean or you needed to be both a super our, human to be able to do it both but, of our
3: families thought we were kind of crazy
2: right but be be we need to be the crazy person sometime and show so people that it's fine right it's so much better
3: i mean and the i was much more comfortable than she was but I imagine she was much more comfortable there than in a hospital.
2: And I, I have a comparison because I did have my first son in the hospital and I still tried for a natural childbirth there. And I did have it, but it was hard. And I was felt like I was fighting everyone to get away from me the whole time. And then the after part was terrifying. It was so it was just like quick, like cleanup. all these people in the room, baby gets ripped away. I never saw my placenta. It was like, it was just like totally detached from everything. I wasn't. They, they cut the cord, it was just like all this, it was not like that at all when we were at home. Everything was asked for our consent before we moved forward. It was way more about that connection and it was so peaceful and there was nothing like scary. I mean, at the hospital, they make you take a class before they'll discharge you. And the class is basically telling you how not to shake your baby. It's like, it's it was offensive to me as a person that they would think I needed to take that to leave the hospital. It was uh it was so weird to like, what are you gonna do? Make them get dressed and stand is go to a room and sit in a chair and listen to you talk about all the horrible things people could do to an infant. Like how I mean, how do you think that's gonna help anybody? It's a, it's insane. <laughs> so yeah, there's just uh there's like for people who don't know, there's an alternative to that system and it's not weird and it's not scary. And in fact, it's the natural thing that has been going on for much longer than this other thing that we think is normal now. Yeah, that's was amazing.
3: I don't cry very often, but both times, as soon as they popped out, there was tears just flowing out of my eyes. And they set the placenta next to us and asked what we wanted to do with it both times. I cut the umbilical cord both times. It was an amazing experience.
2: That's so awesome that you had that. You're, you're lucky. It's rare, unfortunately. But you know what? That's another thing that's good about 2020s crap. A lot of people are opening their eyes and a lot of people are having those experiences that might not have otherwise because they started to question some things.
4: Oh, I just wanted a couple of things uh, that we were talking about. I wanted to just chime in on, yes, starting your family young, the propaganda that this generation and below us has received on like, oh, you need to find yourself. You need to spend time finding you, girl. Yes, queen. Um, Yes. Get your OnlyFans page, girl. Yes. You're liberated. Okay. So that that propaganda is so disgusting. Now, when I was coming up, like no OnlyFans did not exist, but certainly the, the narrative of uh, multiple partners is empowering to you. Like that whole hookup culture, the groundwork was already being laid. So I think that that has been super detrimental to the family and the the narrative to women of like, no, establish your career. You're a bad boss, bitch girl. Yes. Um, you know, so then here you are like not having babies when you're 20, just as exactly like what you said. And then of course, the uh, a lot of males have been essentially taken over by freely available porn. So I, I, uh, I feel like this was all intentionally to, you know, destroy a traditional family unit, right? Because that is what is the most strong. And then the other thing that I wanted to say about the birthing process is that one of my red pills, and I was kind of like a breadcrumb person, like here, and this doesn't make sense, and this doesn't make sense. And finally, I found Sal Mayweather's uh, Twitter, and that was what really woke me up. But the Ricky Lake, of all people, has a documentary called The Business of Being Born. That was one of my red pill moments, because she talks about the overuse of Pitocin, the overuse of cesareans, um, you know, the consequences that people have from that and how the essentially rockefeller medicine went after midwives with this propaganda campaign against them to make them look dirty and unsanitary and then here go to this pristine hospital it's safer for you so it's just more of more of the lies
2: Yeah, that's a great documentary, and it is weird that it's Ricky Lake, because it's like, I remember her trashy talk show, you know, when I would stay home from school sick or whatever, but (laughs) she she went and had home births, and and she made a great documentary, and I think there's actually a sequel to it, and then maybe like a mini-series that she made more recently. I think she was also involved in one that's about birth control, a new documentary that's about birth control, but it's true because... When you look back at the history of uh, birthing in hospitals, we haven't been doing that for very long, and the outcomes are worse than they were before we were doing it. And if you look at our birth outcomes and our maternal death rate in the United States, and you see we're way down on the list. We're not the top of the list, and that's concerning. Third world countries have a better chance of the mother and the baby surviving than we do here. When you see that, you said there's something wrong with the interventions. There's something really, really wrong with the interventions. So my mom had
3: always told me that, uh, speaking to the the C-sections, that, so I was 11 days late and I had the umbilical cord wrapped around my neck. And they had told her, this is in 85, that had it been like 10 years earlier, he probably would have died type of thing. And fast forward to my daughter being born in 2018. And she was 13 days late and we induced labor. And when they pulled her out, she was blue and the umbilical cord was double wrapped around her neck. And the midwife was like, oh, it's no big deal. Unwrapped her and was like, here you go. Here's your beautiful baby daughter. And my son was also 13 days late and we had to induce and it was no big deal to this midwife. She had been through this a million times before, but apparently the hospitals think everything is just a mess.
2: Yeah, it's like they've never witnessed physiologic birth, so they've never seen it just happen before. They've only seen it happen by force, and so they think that, that they have to intervene for it to happen. But if, if, you, if you know that a woman in a coma will deliver her baby without any intervention, then you know that like you can literally just do this. And then some of the Rockefeller stuff that was happening initially was, yeah, it was sold to you like this this spa type experience. And some of the, the stuff they were doing was horrendous, like a twilight birth, which is basically, I think ether or some other chemical they would hold over her face, lady would pass out but they'd have to strap her to the table because she would be convulsing and she wouldn't remember later, but she would be trying to fight to get them away from her. And then they would use forceps to forcibly remove the baby. Right. And you would wake up and it's like, Oh, it's like, it's a beautiful dream. But if you were filming that and you've got to watch back, it would be horrifying. And it's like, is that kind of trauma and struggle and stress how we want to bring our new people into the world? It doesn't feel like a good idea to me. And uh, we, we actually have this, And I think it's called the Encyclopedia of Health or something like that. It's a book that's from the early 1900s, super thick. The spine is like breaking, so I have to be really careful. But there's a whole section on birth. and, And it's from that era of when they were really trying to sell how great it was to go to the hospital. And it's super interesting to read
4: and there's no money in um oh i'm sorry i just want to say really quick there's no money in a natural birth like yes they may get money from your IV and whatever they're doing in the hospital but they cannot wait to give you pitocin and give you an epidural and give you a C-section, they literally cannot wait to do it.
2: No, sometimes they're like, mm, "Let's just schedule this. Cause I got a golf tournament in a few hours that I'd like to be to." You know, it's like, "Oh, you douchey bastards, get out here!" I don't want to have my baby around these people. So yeah, I think it's it's pretty uh, it's pretty obvious that there's. There's something going on there, and, it, and it's like not every single nurse is this horrible person. They just have been taught this is the way to do it. But the whole system is set up to make money. For it's clear.
0: Yeah, and uh, I gotta say, in defense of hospitals, it really depends on which one you go to. We, when we had our daughter, uh, we had a great experience. There was no, uh, you know, we the doctor was great. We, my wife, wa- waited as long as she could. Uh, before the pain got to her too much to get an epidural, but she ended up doing that, and uh, the, had the baby. And they just kind of baby popped out, and she he, we just kind of placed her on top of my wife, and then everybody left the room, and then we had like a couple of hours just to ourselves to kind of commune, you know. And then and they let me cut the umbilical cord and all that kind of stuff. It wasn't it wasn't as sterile and uh, kind of evil as as what probably a lot of a lot of people have to go through you're right there's a huge
2: variation of the way they're doing that what year would that have been keel
0: this was 2014
2: oh yeah there's been so many changes and more information there's like a lot of um, birth centers at, at hospitals now that are more like have that living room kind of a setting or a bedroom setting instead of a hospital thing. And ours is trying to do that, but then you still have the nurses that are like, okay, well, you're past the 12 hour mark. And this means that I'm supposed to be worried, you know, and, and they're kind of trying, it's just this trying to rush through it a little bit, Uh, but it, it totally depends on who you have that day when you're in the hospital. Mm. And it depends on the hospital where you are. I mean, inner cities are going to be the worst, but um. It's like the, we're lucky to have a pretty good birth center here. So I know that my first experience could have been a lot worse if I was somewhere else.
6: Uh, I was yeah. just going to chime in before and say, I encourage people if you possibly ever come across old books, the, especially about um, medicine and, and herbals and uh, botany, etc., cetera, uh, grab them because they're going to be worth their weight in gold. Um, particularly before, well before the 1940s mm-hmm. that's when censorship sort of really started to cut in you know just after the war and um also particularly before the 19th well the 20th century began so pre-1900 it is very valuable to have
2: that's hard to find yeah i'm always oh, looking yeah.
3: rockefellers putting their hands
6: in everything
2: yep yeah
0: uh, physical uh, media
2: yeah Yep. I recently find, you found there. these really old books in our basement that are all like housekeeping books from like the early 1900s. Yes, yes, I've got a couple of those. Yeah, right, aren't they? Yes, it's pretty amazing. The Young Housekeeper's Friend, oh, and nice. like many other books like this that i I still haven't gone through yet to see the years, but it was, it was pretty exciting to unearth those.
5: Yeah,
3: my great grandmother had 230 acres farm in Aurora, Oregon. And we grew up going there all the time. And she had a bunch of kids, I think probably like eight of them. And only one of them stuck around at the farm to run things. And unfortunately, he's pretty much sold off like half the farm. And I imagine living high on the hog off the money these days. But it was so cool to see the way they lived growing up her entire basement was a canning room like there's just it was like a library of bookshelves but just full of canned foods and they had a river on the property that we would swing off the rope swing into the river and swim and out. what I would do to like have been able to take part of that property and not see it get sold off the way it did.
2: Yeah. It's hard. It's hard to hang on to it. Like we're so lucky that we got this and that they didn't sell. Like it's, it's almost an accident that we're here and it's, I'm so glad we are because there's all this um, benefit to living on family property that you don't think about when you're buying something you're kind of going in not knowing you don't know if the last owner buried a bunch of garbage on it or if it it's been sprayed with stuff you don't know what areas of the property get really wet and you have to live there for a few years before you see where the best place to plant your garden is but when we moved in here chad's like this is where we'll put our garden this is where my grandparents had it you know my parents tried having it over here for a while but this is this was the best place and it was like we already had this idea um we already had fruit trees that were planted by his know, my kid's grandpa, great grandpa and great, great grandpa. And it's like, these things are already here and growing and you're, you're investing in your, yourself now and in your future and your kid's future when you're working on a a family property. And it's like, they've taken that away from us as being a good idea. It's like, you, you aren't great unless you move away and go to college and get a job in the big city. And then if you ever want to come back, well, your parents couldn't take care of this all by themselves. So they had to sell the farm, you know, and then you're just shit out of luck. And that's, sucks but i'm happy to say i can see my canning rack from here it looks a little bit like what you're describing but it's probably just not as long of a wall but i can get a real close in picture and it makes me look really cool
1: (laughs) (laughs) that's one of the things that really that that really burns me up that that uh heritage knowledge that we've all lost because um our our parents or their parents decided to move to the city or um, whatever didn't pass on the skills like you know i i've had chickens for five years now and i uh, you know it takes a long time to figure out uh you know every season is a new challenge so every winter you got a trial and error and and you know I've, I've only had five trials and errors you know so by the time my 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 kids are grown up they'll they'll already have that you know 20 years of experience but yes. i'm starting at zero so you know I, i'm on the third year of trying to grow tobacco and <laughs> the last two years were awful but um
0: uh, hopefully this year a, i'll figure it out but yeah i a, mean if, a detailed journal right
1: yeah yeah well okay,
5: good.
0: a little
1: bit yeah i'm not
5: up here <laughs> you gotta write it down yeah
1: yeah yeah, 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 okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. i know for sure yeah, yeah for sure um but yeah, no, I mean, my, my biggest anecdote is, is growing tobacco. And uh, first year, I grew it great and I, I cured it wrong. The second year, I didn't grow it well at all. And now this is the third year. So hopefully I can grow it right and cure it and then figure out how to roll a cigar. You know, so yeah. it's going to take me years and years and years just to figure out how to do like very simple things.
2: It's that that stuff that anything that's useful, anything that's worth doing is like seasonal. So it's like for gardening, you don't get to, you just get one go at planting, you know, maybe two, you get one go at harvesting or watching it grow. And then one go at like taking care of that area over the winter and seeing where the rains come and all that. But you're right. Like with my two-year-old yesterday, we're in the garden, he finds a potato and he's like, so excited. Like it's the, so exciting. And I'm like, you know what? We can harvest these potatoes. And so I just pulled the plant up and he's like, Tato, Tato, like over and over again, potato. Like we were out there 30 minutes and he's still as excited as the first one he found picking each one up and putting it into a bin. You know, I put a uh, reel up on my Instagram. If you're on Instagram, you can check it out, but he's so excited. And I'm like that sheer joy, like he's somewhere in him. will always remember that. And that, that yep. reward and that work and reward. And so if you're building your kids with that as their background, then he knows that potatoes need to be harvested when it's dry and it comes from the ground. And this is what the plant looks like. And like that's already miles ahead of so many city kids or even what I was when I was a little. You know, I didn't know what a, the green part of a potato plant looked like. I knew you got them from underground, but that was about it.
1: And by the time it's his turn to plant potatoes, he'll know exactly when, exactly where, exactly how, you know, it's, it's not going to be the, you know, three, four or five years of it doesn't work here. It doesn't work there. I'm too early. I'm too late. I am I harvested too early. It's all just figured out, you know?
2: Yeah. And I think my best tip for growing potatoes is don't be too good at harvesting them because when you forget some there, then they just grow back again the next year. <laughs> so that's, I, we didn't even plant potatoes this year. And I don't know. I think we got 15 pounds uh, out of the ground yesterday. <laughs> Oh nice.
6: Yeah, he is always gonna remember that and even though we don't remember what we did at three years old, but the as you say, that will be a, a deep in ground memory, that that uh, reward. So that's beautiful.
2: It is. And like that, he can go and hunt and find we we let some carrots go to seed and they blew all over. So I have carrots coming up in all the different plants, like in with my mint where it's all bushy and you can't see. He digs through stuff and then all of a sudden, carrot, carrot, carrot you know wash wash and i spray it off for him and he's just eat like we haven't preserved any carrots because he just eats every single one of them that he finds (laughs) but yeah it's like those 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 things he can identify he knows which stinging nettles are and he knows blackberries are ouchies but they're also delicious you know it's like all this stuff he'll forget it over winter again and next year he'll get it quicker because it's somewhere in there even though it's going to be like it's all new again for you know a few years until he gets older
6: very very fortunate little boy
2: I love him.
1: Yeah, He's that's so cute. Awesome. Yeah. We're uh harvesting potatoes tomorrow morning with cool. with my nephew. Yeah, awesome. yeah. So it felt pretty He's timely. He's <laughs> going
4: to love that. How old is he? Yeah. Tunes? He's 7. Oh, oh yeah. perfect.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Looking forward to it. So Some I haven't fries done for lunch.
2: Yeah. Oh, so I haven't done anything with the potatoes yet. We still have the box on the porch, right? And I um I have it covered so it's not in the sun and then as the yeah, this morning he gets up And he immediately runs to the door, goes outside, and gets potatoes and hands them to me. And that's what he wanted me to cook him for breakfast. So I cooked cooked potatoes for breakfast. And then I'm just like, you know what? I don't think he realizes this is where French fries come from. And so now my next thing is like, I'm going to blow his mind, but we're going to make some French fries with those potatoes we grew. And he's going to be like, what? This is my favorite food. It's so exciting.
0: How are you going to make French fries without all the massive amount of chemicals that have to be sprayed on top of them? And then aerate it out before you can, you know, put them in a red and yellow package.
2: I know it's tricky, but I'm just going to slice the (laughs) potatoes and soak them in water. And then I'm going to fry them in tallow that I rendered myself from a grass-fed cow. And they're going to taste really good. Oh, I got sea salt, too. I guess you could do that if you
0: wanted to. You could.
2: It's a lot of effort. But you (laughs) also, if you get sea salt, you put it in your food processor and a spice grinder and make powdered salt. That stuff's the best for if you're salting popcorn or French fries or potato chips, because then it's like that really, really fine salt like you get from McDonald's in those little packets with the two tubes, you know. Mm-hmm. And so that sticks to your fries better. So I'll even make my salt fancy, my sea salt. Love that. Big French fry fan here. Yeah, me too. I love anything <laughs> potatoes can't go wrong.
6: Uh, it's horrible when you read about McDonald's French fries and what they do to them. Um, They spray them with something that even the farmers, et cetera, they just, they have to leave. They don't go near them for about four or five days.
2: And there's too many ingredients. It should be fat and and salt and potato, but there's all this stuff. And they're, you know, yeah. like regurgitated fried tubes that they <laughs> they flash freeze and then deep fry. It's, it's strange. And they
6: cover them in sugar as well to give them that golden brown mm-hmm, look. Get them crispy. Mm. That's why everyone yeah. loves them.
2: It's so sad. They are delicious. Yeah. Cannot deny. And they don't even <laughs>
5: cook, them in.
2: A part they don't
3: of cook them in the same oil as the meat like they used to, so they're not even as good.
2: No, and they used to they have t- some tallow more. in their fat, and then they don't anymore. It's interesting too. It's like when you don't eat vegetable very often, you can taste it when you're eating stuff. It tastes like there's like a chemical taste. But when you do eat vegetable oil all the time, seed oils, it's like you don't even notice. They just taste good. They're like crispy fried food. But taking a break from the seed oil for a long time and then be like, oh, I do. I'm just going to eat some McDonald's fries and be like, oh. It's not something you would ever want to like suck on and like savor you know what I mean like when you get something really good like at home like fat from a piece of steak or something and you're like hold it in your mouth for a second be like savor that it's good you're never going to do that with like a Hot Pocket or like McDonald's chicken nuggets <laughs> or whatever it's just I'm like no you're, you're going to extract the chemicals now. from it and it's going to be like too intense
3: Having fast food since 2016 and I'm scared to try it I'm sure it'll feel like a brick in my gut
2: Yeah, well, just, you know, you don't have to, you know, that's so cool. That's a long time.
3: Yeah, so I I had gotten to my heaviest weight ever, and unfortunately, all my weight goes to my face. So I had listened to Rogan talking about keto, so I was like, you know, I'll give that a try. And I don't know that keto's the end-all, be-all, but I think it helps you learn to look at labels and avoid processed foods more than anything and i lost 30 pounds within a couple months and since then i've found out about the whole sugar industry putting down the fat industry and found that fats are actually pretty good for you and i i never went back to the fast foods i'm not in I haven't been hardcore keto in a couple of years, but I'd say the best I ever felt was when I was hardcore keto, keto. And I did that for about three years. And, um, I just think that avoiding sugar and processed foods is the best thing that I've ever done in my life. And I, it's cool to say that it's been seven years since I've even gone through a drive-thru.
2: Yeah, that's, that is really cool. It's, it's, it's like, I feel like if there's one thing people could do to feel better is to get your fats right, you know, like to get the seed oils out of your diet and eat natural fats. And that's that's easier said than done for certain people because they're in everything. And if you don't know how to cook for yourself and you don't have good access to real food, it's like, it's challenging because they're really, they are in everything. And if you do keto right, you know, clean keto, as they say, or whatever, then you're eating real food, not just bologna and, and American cheese, but uh, dipped in ranch dressing for that's your carbs for the day is from the ranch or whatever. <laughs> but you can be like eating you know, avocado and a, a couple macadamia nuts and, and a steak and some eggs and a couple slices of cheese and you're good. And like, you're going to feel good from that because that's all real food. You know, even if you were having more carbohydrates in there from like actual vegetables that were grown close by or uh, potatoes or something, you're still going to feel good compared to what the standard American diet is, which just has so much stuff that we were never intended really to put in our bodies that then we have to like filter through, you know, it's a lot of work for our bodies to filter through all that crap.
3: Absolutely. And I've, I've realized in the last couple of years, because of label checking that even like flavored sunflower seeds and nuts and things, when I look at the late labels, they're cooked in canola oil uh-huh. and, these seed oils that are terrible for you and i'm like holy fuck like i'm trying to avoid all these carbs but at the same time the things that i think are good for me are being cooked in these terrible oils that aren't good for me too. I know
2: totally it's like the good food then they're like oh but it's roasted in oil it's like some good nut that you might want to have or something yeah, it's like just dry if I you have to find dry roasted or anything that has like a flavor to it it's going to have some kind of a seasoning that's made out of a bunch of chemicals and things to make it stick to it and it's a it is it's tricky to navigate it's like you have to learn a whole new language to be able to read these packages and i think the yeah. big one of the biggest psyops that got me when i was younger was the nutrition facts um, not the ingredient label being the most important thing that you were taught about, right? In macro and nutrients. You wanted to see how many grams of fat was in this thing, right. if it was saturated fat or not protein, sugar, and you didn't even read the ingredients list. And so it's like, you need a scientist to tell you if this makeup of this food was going to be okay for you to eat. But really what you need to do is look over at that small print underneath it that says the ingredients to decide if it's actually food or if it's not. And it's like, absolutely. and I
3: look at the ingredients more than anything now and so like i grew up playing baseball and eating sunflower seeds and at work i need a snack usually wow she's adorable tunes (laughs) um i realized that the original (laughs) sunflower
5: seeds
3: (laughs) don't have all that canola oil and everything that any of the other flavors do. So if you get original Dave sunflower seeds, it's just like salt sunflower seeds, and that's it.
5: Yeah. But any
3: of the other flavors, they fry it in canola oil and all that other shit, which is crazy because you think it's just they maybe added a flavor, but no, they not only added the flavor, they added shitty oils.
2: Yeah, to get it to stick to it, right? So right. it's like, it's, it is, it's It's tricky. It's super tricky to navigate. And then like, there's so much information out there that like there's things that people have thought were healthy and then someone's telling you there's oxalates in them or you can't have sunflowers anywhere because that fat is unstable and it's, it's just like eating vegetable oil. And it's like, ah, I think part of it too is like if we, when we pray before we eat and we say, you know, thank you for this food, let it nourish our body and you take it in, Great. But then if you're taking this food in and you're in your mind, you're thinking about all these different people that have told you how it's poison and you're taking it in knowing it's poison. Like, what do you think is going to be better for your body to like take that food in? So I've, this is my next level of stuff is like, yes, I'm picking the best stuff that I can, but I'm trying to think like positive and like ask for this to be nourishing to me while I take it in as well so that I'm not so worried about everything I eat because it's been such a, I don't know. It's like when you get into that where you're researching it, it's, it's like there's so many co- conflicting, different sides of things and and so much information that it starts to feel like everything is bad and that you can't do anything right. And it, I, I don't think that's healthy for us either.
6: Can we have a really, really quick chat about specifically vegetable oil? Sure. Can you tell us what you know, Lenny?
2: Uh, I know that vegetable oil is made from, not from vegetables, but from seeds of vegetables. It really, it really comes back to um, The Crisco thing would be the first time that it was like hydrogenated and really pushed to people. And that was made out of cottonseed oils, now made out of soybean oil. Um, There are, um, these oils are made by washing these seeds in a chemical substance and then spinning them and, you know, extruding them out of like a, these little tiny things to get the oil out of the seed. So it's a byproduct of an industry. So like cotton seed oil, there were abundance of cotton seeds after cotton was harvested. They need something to do with them. They were using it with like lamp, I feel like lamp oil and lubrication and stuff like that first. But then Procter and Gamble came along and they were like, they were, one of them was making soap and one of them was making candles. And they wanted to use the cotton seed Oil for something, and it wasn't great for either of those things. So they decided that they were going to sell it as a butter substitute using this new technology that would hydrogenate it, which would make it like basically so that it wouldn't melt at room temperature. It would be solid at room temperature, like butter. And uh, they went on this huge marketing campaign to tell housewives, restaurant owners, cooks that this stuff was healthier. It was lower in saturated fat. And that's when saturated fat kind of became demonized, which saturated fat is from uh, animals. And polyunsaturated fat is what's in the vegetable and seed oils, right? Um, The industrial seed oils, polyunsaturated fat means that the structure of, this is, again, this is science stuff and I haven't seen it with my own eyes. So I don't know that it's true, but this is what I've read. Is that it's, there's a structure of it that has lots of holes in it which allows oxygen to get in there and make it rancid. So it's unstable fat, whereas saturated fat is stable because it is saturated and there's not those holes in it for oxygen to get in and make it rancid, right? So if uh, you look at the difference of the structure and the way the body uses it, the, the taking in the seed oils causes less inflammation and, and um, a lot of other problems maybe more than we even know because it's been really poorly studied. And it's really interesting to me that when you look at our food history and you see there can be an industry that comes up kind of seemingly out of nowhere like that, that's using a byproduct of an industrial system and then feeding it into the people. And we never stop to go, should we eat this? Is this going to be good for us? This is an experiment. Instead, we just went on like that for, you know, a hundred years now and it doesn't seem like it's gone very well um yeah yeah so i think that um, when you're trying to find natural fats fats that come from like avocado and coconut or one thing you know olives and i mean like eating an olive not olive oil necessarily because that's a whole nother conversation like avocado and olive oil that takes a lot of trust uh, because those things don't grow here around me. I can't make them myself. And so what am I getting in that bottle? Is it actually olive oil and, and has it been treated properly where it hasn't gotten too hot? I'm not sure. So, um, the safest bet you could do is get grass-fed butter, tallow, lard, um, chicken fat, uh, and butter. Butter is the the best one, the one people I think can have the most access to.
6: Yeah. Well, that's very comprehensive. Thanks a lot for that. Mm -hmm. Um, it's got echoes of of so many other things, doesn't it? I mean, that's why that's why fluoride is in the water. Right. It's, it's not because it's good for our teeth. Um. It's we so needed purely... to figure out
2: what to do with it. Yeah. Yeah.
6: Exactly. It was just. It was just a. a byproduct that uh, they decided to make a profit out of by telling us that it was good for us so
2: whey, whey protein like whey protein powders and and stuff like that too that's a byproduct of yogurt and uh, cheese making so yeah and they were having problems in certain areas dumping all of that into the water system and so you have to say oh is whey protein actually good for us or is that another thing that they're just trying to pump back into us to uh make another dollar off something that would otherwise be a waste i
0: think that's how american cheese was created
2: cuz yeah.
0: it, it uses whey and and uh-huh. not you know natural cheese processes.
2: And then there's no cheese fat whey. left in it because it's whey and so they're adding the vegetable oils to make that American yeah. cheese too. Like especially when you're talking about like those cheese singles that come in the cellophane little packets.
0: Yeah, well, I think it Plastic depends on what brand you get. It gives you the quality. If you get like the store brand, it's it's just oil. Like there's no not even really any whey in it. There's
2: like it's dairy free. Vegetarians yeah. can have it too. It's good for you.
0: Right. <laughs>
6: Yes, so many
0: scams. You can get American cheese that's pretty tasty and, and actual kind of close to cheese, but, you know. It
2: was interesting, as Stella probably knows this, that cheddar in every other country besides America is white. Cause, uh, milk is white, you know, it's off white if they're eating good grass, but it's, a, uh, it's not yellow. It's like, we've, we've come to believe that our cheese needs to be yellow to be tasty. And so they use I think it's an annatto, it's a, it's a seed that like makes a yellow coloring to, to give a yellow cheddar the color that it is. So I don't know. It's just one of those things that it's like, we all think, oh, cheddar cheese is yellow unless you get white cheddar. And then it's like, no, it's the standard is white cheddar and we have yellow cheddar. Maybe we should call it yellow cheddar.
6: Well, it's it's the same, same with butter and margarine and all that too. They, they put dyes in. And in fact, Mm -hmm. I I believe there it's only a couple of molecules away from plastic.
2: Oh, wow. Yeah.
0: Was the uh, original cheddar that came from the cheddar area in England, was that yellow or was that white?
2: I think that would have been white. It's like a white, okay. sharp, kind of crumbly cheddar that almost has like crystally kind of in in the in the middle. I don't know how they make those crystals. I think it's the aging process. Sure. I'm still pretty green on the cheese making. I'm just started in the last year, but it's super interesting stuff. And it's uh, I don't know if I've ever been more satisfied after three months of waiting to like cut into a wheel of cheese and like this is the everyone's favorite food. And I literally made it out of milk. It was so exciting.
0: Excellent. So are you, are you at that point, or are you still waiting to? Oh, I've cut
2: I've cut into wheels of cheese. Yes, so I've okay. made a few wheels of a certain type of cheese, but I've made mozzarella, ricotta, cream cheese, sour cream, and then Alpine cheese is what it's commonly called, or tome, uh, T-O-U-M-E is, or maybe mm. there's two M's. That's another uh, term for it. But yeah, I made um, some wheels of aged cheese that I aged, you know, ninety days and. Did some experimenting with different types of milk, you know, pasteurized versus unpasteurized because the internet says you can't use um, pasteurized milk to make cheese, but nobody would answer like, but what if you inoculate it with like culture that you get from raw milk? And so I just did it and I I made cheese, but it didn't have a good flavor compared to the other one. So, Mm. yeah. It can be done, but it's not tasty. So there's probably some, some other chemical that you could add to it to make it better. Uh, calcium chloride is in a lot of our cheeses. I've seen uh, that one as well as citric acid they use a lot of the time instead of using just lemon juice or something. But yeah, it's really fascinating because I think the, the, the biggest takeaway from the cheese making thing that was so impressive is that, okay, so rennet is how you get the milk to coagulate, right? Rennet yeah. comes from the stomach of a calf. Okay. So there's that milk needs to be at body temperature for it to uh, have activate and has some acid added to it. If you think about the calf nursing from the cow, it's going to have room temperature milk. There's going to be stomach acid and rennet. It's like, Whoa, the calf is making cheese in its stomach naturally. And then digesting that that's its food. Cheese is what a calf eats. And I was like, like, mind blown. Like, wow. And then did somebody just harvest a calf and get cheese out of there and be like, we should try to make this. This is delicious. The contents of the stomach is really good. Like, I don't know the history of how people first started making it, but that sounds like it could I, be. And it's very I, interesting. I've
0: done a little bit of research into that myself. Cause I just, I love cheese, you know, so why not read about it sometime? So I did that. And it, uh, I think it, uh, the earliest evidence we have of it, it comes from the Caucasus region in central Asia, you mm-hmm. know, where they have a uh, strong, you know, horse community horse, uh, culture there. I think it probably came from horse milk originally. And my, I don't, we don't really know because nobody, nobody was alive writing stuff down back then. Mm-hmm. So, but my theory is that kind of like yours, uh, I think we, we probably stored milk in, you know, uh, mammal bladders or, or mammal mm-hmm. stomachs yeah, and carried it all around with us. And it just naturally turned into cheese one day. And we just kind of discovered it like that.
2: That's um, how they say that ke- kefir or kefir grains kefir. were were found or created, which was like I think in Egypt, um, Turkey, Turkey. I don't know somewhere. They're camels, sure. or they were traveling across the desert and they would carry their milk in these bags that they were made out of stomachs and they started to have these little gelatinous blobs in there that would make this stuff delicious and sour and and preserve it for longer and it was Mm -hmm. like then they started to keep those little cultures of that had formed and put that into fresh milk to preserve it and now we pass those downs generation after generation and i have it in my kitchen it's it's amazing
6: that might may may have been the mongolians possibly
2: oh okay yeah it could be i can't remember
0: yeah, Central Asia. You're muted, Ashley.
2: Oh, you don't look like you're muted, but we can't hear you.
0: Her mics might be turned off externally. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you, you, you're getting into the uh, Aryan mythology there, Kiel, with the uh, cheese eaters
5: <laughs>
1: in the steppe. But that's yeah, a story for a different different podcast. <laughs> it's
0: interesting that the vast majority of humans on the planet are lactose intolerant and can't eat cheese at all. Yeah. Uh, You know, so it's really that kind of European uh, genetic material that gets passed around that, you know, gives us that ability to drink milk and, and eat dairy products.
2: It's so interesting, too, because in raw milk, there's something called lactase as well that helps you actually break down lactose when you ingest it. And when Mm -hmm. you pasteurize it, that goes away. So there's a lot of people who can't eat uh, pasteurized cow's milk that can tolerate um, raw cow's milk. And then cheese, too, the longer you age it, the more those those things get broken down to where, like, Parmesan that's aged for years – has yeah. very little lactose at all and a lot of people that can't tolerate regular cheese or dairy they can tolerate those really long age dry cheeses it's um, it's interesting have you,
0: sometimes Have they're... you uh, uh, experimented with the goat milk or sheep milk uh, cheeses? Those no not yet
2: I need, need to find a friend that or or get an animal because yeah. it's expensive so once I get um, once I get more I'd like to I'd especially like to try with sheep's milk because I really like sheep's milk feta like Bulgarian feta I would love to try. Mm-hmm.
4: Okay. I think I'm back. You're I just want to say really, really quick. So Mercola and others have also associated because the standard narrative is that the sun is bad for you, which is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. That's literally what gives us life on earth. Um, in a, a material sense, right? I'm not talking about God or Jesus, but, um, so we're told to avoid the sun, get in the sun as a human, and you're going to give yourself cancer and it's your fault. But actually, there is an association with the inflammation in our bodies from seed oils. And that is why uh, people like Mercola and others are talking about this, that they believe the seed oils are causing the inflammation, which is contributing to uh, increased melanoma rates in people. And it's definitely, sunscreen is not protective in that. Like, sunscreen use has gone up, and so hasn't uh, melanoma in humans. So um, I know that's off topic by now, but I just wanted to throw that in there about seed oils.
2: It's not so much because it really ties in with the milk thing too, because a lot of what we're lacking in our diet is um, natural animal sources of vitamin D, dietary vitamin D. And some of the highest sources of that are grass-fed unpasteurized milk, and lard or fat from uh, pastured pigs, pigs that have been in the sun. So you're thinking of these animals that are taking in the sun by you know, eating fresh grass and being out in the sun, their fats from their body will give us these fat soluble vitamins like A, D, and K. And so then if we have those, we can also take them more effectively from the sun. So if our main diet is seed oils and we don't have those components in our body, we're more likely to sunburn and have other problems. And then if you take that, we're putting not only a sunscreen to protect us from the sun, but what is in that stuff that's chemical makeup that we're just spreading cancer causing uh chemicals all over our skin uh that seems like a, a bad move but i've really noticed with my youngest um kid who's never almost never had seed oil of, other than a few bites of stuff you know the, when we're out and we can't control it um he he doesn't sunburn he's outside naked all day long and has this great tan and just hasn't never had a sunburn and um, we do occasionally and sit, but since I've changed my diet, we, do, we also don't do sunscreen, and I, I have not had that problem like I used to uh, getting sunburn, you know top of my shoulders.-
3: I just recently read someone talking about that, and I wish I knew, remembered who it was, but they said that their wife had gotten on a clean diet and she used to always fry from the sun. And after she had gone clean, she actually I think it might have been uh, uh shit, on no agenda stream there's anyway it doesn't matter who it was, but his wife had gotten a clean diet and now she tans instead of burns mm-hmm. and it was like night and day type of thing like she used to just fry and now she's tanning like in italian
2: yeah and it's it's interesting too because they they talk about the sunglasses affecting that as well is because our eyes are like these these windows where we're sensing our environment and if it's we're telling ourselves that it's shady and overcast we're not putting out the same protection in our skin and i might seem kind of like wow that sounds crazy but it's like think about like chameleons that can change their color in like in the in the depending on which foliage is behind them. I don't know. There's there's things that we don't understand. And I could see there being a link to that, us wearing sunscreen and sunglasses, not having much exposure, more exposure to artificial lights, artificial foods that we're just not, our body doesn't know how to protect ourselves from the sun and take the nutrients from it that we would get otherwise. So when you're living closer to nature and more with your circadian rhythm and like eating a more natural diet, then your body can take the the nutrition from the sun and not just fry <laughs>
5: And the That's sunglasses really
4: bums me out
3: so much because I'm obsessed with sunglasses. <laughs> I have like 30 different pairs, and <laughs> usually I wear them while I'm doing this show too. But today it's like you want to look
2: like a cool guy, but now I'm looking at sunglasses. I'm like, you don't look like a cool guy anymore. You got to start wearing them <laughs> on the back of your head. <laughs> <laughs>
6: That's really interesting what you just pointed out. Yeah. Um, I also just want to point out, I was just doing a really, really quick fact check on that thing about the molecules and margarine and plastic being similar. Apparently it was um, a bit of a myth that was floating around at some point. So um, maybe look into that a little bit yourselves because I don't want to lead people astray. But oh, um, that's
2: yeah, that's interesting. But then you're I don't know, I'm always just trusting people anyways cuz I've never seen a molecule before, but I know margarine tastes like ass. So, I'll just stop there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, margarine. Yeah. You, you know,
0: if you look at it, most anything on a molecular level, if you use chemistry, you can convert it to just about anything else, you know. Isn't that's it pretty all just water? What yeah. Yeah. It's, we're probably pretty close to plastic ourselves, you know, if we broke ourselves down <laughs> and reconstituted ourselves.
4: And I was going to say that I have stopped wearing sunglasses uh, most of the time. Every now and again, I do. But for the most part, because there's a guy that I follow on Twitter, I used to follow him on Instagram, Dr. Jack Kuse, I think, K-U-S-E. He's a huge sun advocate. And he says that he's like, for your body to create your melanin, to get that, um, you know, the benefits from the sun to prevent you from burning, all that good stuff that you need to be able to see the light. As well as have the light on your skin, um, so I'm at this point I do not wear sunscreen and I rarely wear sunglasses um, from trying to get you know my healthy sun exposure.
2: Yeah, yeah it's uh, it's interesting too. I find myself if I am gonna get a little sunburn, it's gonna be when I'm in a really unnatural place like the water slides. But if you go to the lake for the day, it's like you're still by water and you're still under the sun all day. But you're not fried. But if you go to the water slides where they have the cell phone tower in the parking lot, that's for some reason really low to the ground compared to other ones. It's like um, right there. And then it's like the chlorine and the pavement and like all of that. Then I'll get sunburned and I won't feel good at the end of the day. It's all very
0: reflective. That's too. So. Yeah.
2: Right. I know not just, not just the water, but the, the pavement and everything else. Mm-hmm. But yeah, then when I go to the lake, I don't have the same problem. But yeah, I've never gotten into wearing sunglasses because I've always worn glasses. So I, it was expensive to go get a second pair that were prescription. Right. But I used to have the ones that would go, like I got at the dollar store that would go like over the glasses. Those were cool. <laughs> but, you know, just if you're stoned enough, sometimes you want to put a pair of sunglasses on and just hide for a minute. <laughs> Back.
6: Back. Yeah, um, I remember when I was leading an extremely unnatural life when I was younger and um, I was a video editor. So I'd spend most of my time in a very dark room, like all day, and then go out at lunchtime, like in air conditioning as well go out at lunchtime to grab a sandwich or something. And it was just so bright and trying to cross the road with the pedestrian crossing. I don't know if they're the same over there, but they're sort of like big white rectangles next to each other. Um, and uh, yeah, it just the reflection, my eyes would just be crying. I couldn't even open them to get across the road sort of thing. So I had to wear sunglasses. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm a, I'm a blue eyed fair skin type, you know, Irish sort of ancestry. So I burn like I burn. I do not go, brown at all so I'd be I'd kind of like to try that out (laughs) see if I could uh, possibly turn that around somehow
2: yeah do it gradually when the season changes again when you start to get into your springtime just try to get a lot of sun exposure like slowly ease into it not wearing sunglasses not eating seed oils and see if you have a better chance of getting a little little golden color instead of the uh, lobster (laughs)
4: vibe yeah and they call that building your solar callus Or as I would say, base tan, but they call it like (laughs) building your solar callus is what they refer to that gradual introduction for a very fair skin person. Exactly what you said, like at the turn, whenever you're transitioning from winter to spring and you start having those warm days, gradually get your sun exposure no glasses, no sunscreen, all that stuff. So you have a, a nice solar callus to keep you from getting burnt.
6: Yeah, nice like my skin's so sensitive. I, I'll just go out and hang out the washing and come back in and I'm burnt. Oh man. Yeah. That sucks. <laughs> you
2: know, it feels like I never burned when I was a kid. I was always roasty tan. You know, I'm pretty light skinned, but my mom's Italian and I would just I would just be tan all summer and my you know blonder highlights in my hair by the end of the summer but then yeah when i got to be in my 20s i think is when i started to just get like sunburns on the on my nose or on the top of my shoulders and you know it would turn into a tan a few days later but it might peel and it's like oh this hurts really bad now i get why people are always making such a big deal out of it i feel bad for every time i slap my friend on the back after they told me they had a sunburn. Well. What so else do we got? Guess... Anything else before we uh before we wrap up, guys? This is fun.
1: I would think moral of the podcast would be uh, cook with animal fats.
2: Yeah, and problem all over your skin too. Yeah, I use tallow balm and I make my own tallow soap. So yeah, every all of the beauty products that make this <laughs> this dewy glow. I don't have any makeup on. I just have tallow beef fat smeared all over <laughs> my body. And I don't even smell like a roast. There's a way to do it without just smelling
0: this. Maybe you want to smell like a roast. I know. I mean, sometimes I'm not a negative.
2: You know, when you're washing the dishes and there's a lot of bacon fat and you just kinda of go, it's a mm, it's nice. It's okay, I, rub it in.
0: <laughs> I had I collected some bacon fat a couple of weeks ago and I didn't get it all over me or anything, but you know, I was touching it and the whole rest of the day my hands were like really soft and
6: I was like, "What? I
0: don't, I don't moisturize. What is this? This
2: is This is not... nice. It's nice. Yeah. it's nice."
6: my father-in-law, yeah, I... my father-in-law is a butcher, and he had the, he had uh, the soft, he had huge hands, and he had the softest skin, it was incredible. Was oh yeah. always and touching like, the meat and the fat. Yeah. So
2: amazing. Yeah, that's that's excellent. Yeah, and it's like the best uh, defense if you're doing a lot of dishes or have your hands in water all the time. Just putting a little bit of fat on your on your hands before you get going it's like protects your skin from drying out ah oh, brilliant thanks yeah i never thought of it or even in just olive oil if that's all you have will do it but yeah before you get started um and then you know like my husband he'll be working outside in the cold and the rain in the in the winter time and he'll he'll get those cracks on his knuckles and stuff but since mm-hmm. i've he had never liked lotion he didn't like how it feel but he'll put the tallow balm or the salves that i'm making on his on his knuckles and now he's not like cracking to the point of bleeding anymore which is good
5: yeah wow
3: I never liked lotion growing up, I didn't like the way it felt, and in the last five years or so, I I use so much like shea butter and just natural lotions, it's the most amazing thing to me, as soon as I get out of the shower in the morning, I just lather up and I feel like it's helping my skin.
2: Totally. totally yeah and I'll, I'm gonna have to send you guys some uh, some tele that's my new it's my new big project so if you want to sample the product let me know hook you Why up. don't you
1: uh, why don't you plug your plug your stuff for our listeners?
2: Oh sure. so um, greener postures you can find everything we do at greenerpostures.com. Uh, I'm on Instagram at Greener postures. I'm on youtube.com slash at greener postures which is my channel preserving today. The podcast is called The Greener Postures Podcast, and I also have another podcast with my husband, Chud, who people might have heard from Deborah Gets Red Pilled, among other things, and his new his new podcast is called Are We Content? And uh, we have ours together where we talk a lot about what we were talking about today, to traditional family and raising kids in the world as it is today, and that's the name of it, The World As It Is Today. Yeah, I met
3: Adam. You met Adam, and t- Adam? I met Adam from Deborah gets red-pilled in Tacoma at Tripoli's uh, show one time. Maybe oh, cool.
2: Yeah. yeah. We didn't get we didn't tickets. Get that. Yeah. 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 We have we we're real-life friends with Adam because he's not too far from us in Oregon. and I think we'll be going to see him uh, in a couple of weeks again and checking out his piggies and some new stuff he's got on his homestead that he didn't have last time. So that's great. Cool.
1: It's always great talking to you, Lenny. I appreciate your time.
2: Yeah, this was really fun. You guys up. are cool. It was good catching up. And we'll have to do it again soon.
4: Yeah, I loved it. Thank you, Lanny. Always have a blast uh, talking with you and just hearing what you're up to, all of your knowledge, all the convo with the rest of the the, uh, the unknowns here. It's been really good. Thank you. Yeah, thank Very you. Fun. And it's
2: good to meet Kiel uh, face-to-face, this my air quotes for the first time. And same with big perm. I haven't seen you before and Stella, still a mystery, but a beautiful peacock flower. <laughs> there, it's always good to hear your voice.
5: <laughs> Thanks, yeah, you're
6: a
3: wealth with of knowledge for years, and she's still a mystery to us, too. Never
2: even a picture, huh?
6: Matt, I'm a mystery to myself.
2: <laughs> I was <laughs> saying today, I was like, maybe if I didn't have mirrors, I'd be happier. So maybe you're on the right idea. Just turn the camera off. And...
5: One day,
3: and, I'm gonna and, and uh, look in mirrors <laughs> in, a in Australia. I'll
0: have to get a picture yep. with her.
2: <laughs> yeah, go visit. Well, I'll just right show up on.
0: At her
6: door one day out of the blue.
2: That would be a surprise. But then you're not sure it's her. You have to get her to talk first to see if you recognize the voice.
6: Yeah, I have a clone ready to go.
2: <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> yeah, thanks again, guys, yeah, for inviting yeah. me on. And uh oh, yeah, I love staying in touch with all of you online and it's it's great. So yeah, uh I'm sure you have a good crowd of listeners. So if anybody hasn't heard of me yet, yeah, I'm, I'm most active on Instagram. So if you want to see videos of my two-year-old finding potatoes or all the jars of stuff I have in my kitchen, you can check me out there.
5: Do we yeah, have you have any plugs, like i uh, I'm, I'm off of this.
3: I'd love to ask you a couple questions. Yeah, sure.
5: All right. H-
0: uh, how can, uh, Ashley, how can people get in touch with the Union of the Unknowns? Mm-hmm.
4: I'm glad you asked. (laughs) 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 Um, You can find us at our website unionoftheunknowns.com which is our Linktree page where you can reach out to us we have also a Facebook page that Perm has been running Um, so reach out to him on Facebook you can get in touch with me on Twitter at UnionUnknowns and all of our other links and information you should be able to find at Linktree and don't forget that um, Kiel has also set up a special RSS bonus feed and we are also on Rockfin, so hit us up reach out thanks for listening I think that's it
0: take us out tunes.
1: uh bye
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's organic <Later>. Hi, <laughs> everybody good to meet you Lanny thank you for tuning in for another episode of Union of the Unknowns You can find new episodes every week on all your favorite podcasting networks.